about to win so big. Tell my hydraulic money. Yeah. Money coming in. Tell me what's the program? 25 days of cushion. Yeah, get with the program. Show they want their way. Get the program. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's a new era for the Tales from the Terror Dome. Your boy Dan is now solo show. Uh-oh. But I still got the merch, so make sure the link's in the bio. You click that, you get you something fresh. It's cold outside. Get you a hoodie, get you a long sleeve, get you a short sleeve for the spring, whatever you got to do, support the brand. I'm excited about it. Tonight, we got a good one. We got a... Pokey great from the late 90s. We've had several of them on here, but this man is also special. He played quarterback. Some would say he was Michael Vick before Michael Vick, but I just say this man's Al Clark because this man is Al Clark. Al Clark, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Good, doing good. Happy to be here. Now, you are from the district, right? DC? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. From DC. Well, most people, when they think of D.C., they think monuments, museums, White House. But that's not the case. No, There's no. Like, nah. <laughs> so I guess kind of get in. There's like some real good culture, cultural backbone to Washington, D.C. that exists way beyond Pennsylvania Avenue. And I would kind of like you to get into that and like where you came from. Well, I grew up, I grew up in Southeast DC. That's one of the, the, the rougher neighborhoods or rougher areas in the city, uh, especially in the early eighties there. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend, you know, having any kids growing up in that area or that environment, but it did shape me and it helped me to uh, become a little, I say thick skinned as far as playing sports and, and competing with other guys. But uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, play sports at an early age. And actually, I got into coaching at an early age also because I was actually a quarterback at the age of seven, I believe it was. And you had to be eight years old to play in the neighborhood Boys and Girls Club. And, you know, they didn't know that I was seven at the time until a week before the game when I had turned in my birth certificate. So the coach didn't want to let me go. So he made me a coach at seven. So I'm coaching guys that's older than me. And I tell you, that was an experience in itself because, you know, those guys, they didn't listen to a word I said because, for one, I was younger than they were. So, you know, Ben's though I had some older brothers that were playing on the the uh, the older school, you know, the, uh, the upper or the heavier teams because we went by weight class at that time. You know, I had some backups and reinforcements. So I got a a grip of the coaching life pretty early. Um, I was given some instructions by our coach. And every time I try to go lead practice, he'd tell me start practice before he comes out there. And those guys never listen. So I caught on pretty fast. Uh, you know, coach come out and ask what's going on out here. And I tell him what I told him, coach, uh, you wanted them to run five laps or whatever and start the uh, exercise, you know, just get loose. So everything that I told those guys to do, the coach always doubled it, you know. So when I caught heat of that, I knew the guys wasn't going to listen to me. So I tell them, all right, coach, coach said, let's run 10 laps. 
So I knew they wasn't going to run it and coach was going to double it. So, you know, I was already the bad guy off the start, you know. So after every practice, I always ran to a couple of my players and, uh, you know, a couple of skirmishes happened. But like I said, I had three other brothers, you know, and they had older friends. So I always had some backup out there. But, you know, that taught me, you know, how to be competitive, uh, how to play with older guys at that time. And I think when you play with older kids, that their skill level is better than yours or should be better than yours. And you can kind of compete on that level. I think that helps the youngsters as they move along. So funny story. When I played little league ball, my birthday is late August. So I was always like too early or too late. You know what I'm saying? Like for cutoff. And uh, it ended up being, I was too early. Like I was too, I wasn't old enough quite yet to play peewee. So I would have had to wait another year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the coach, um, my mom, it was funny. He was like, I had such a good size at that age that he was like, no, 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 no. He can play. So I got an extra year of peewee. But it was, shout out to my mom for, for always running me down there just so I could practice because I couldn't play, but I could uh-huh. practice. And I was, she always took me. So shout out mom. But uh, <laughs> that's always good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Washington, D.C. Mumbo yeah, so was... Go-Go Bands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had all that going on. You know, most of the Go-Go Bands got started in the area that I was in, in the southeast area. Uh, we had most of the famous Go-Go Bands there. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that, that type of music didn't get a chance. It had a little taste of national, national success on the big stage, but it fizzled out very fast because of the record business and they just didn't know how to market the go-go music at that time on on a national level so a couple of songs did get out there nationally and they are you know classics to this day like doing the button things of that nature you know everyone across america have heard of that song but it never really got a chance to really take off but you know the music is still alive today it's still going on in the city uh, it's kind of hard for those guys to kind of get together and play these days because a lot of the venues have been shut down. But the bands are still there. They're still playing live music. D.C. is always going to be a live music town, instrument town. So, you know, with, with that type of background, that drop, I, you know, Google Music is always going to be here. It's just a matter of time before, you know, you got the Internet now. So these guys are broadcasting on the Internet. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah, I'm just a a kid from rural Virginia, but uh, thanks to Twitter, uh, wow, over a decade ago, um, I was able to get in with the independent record label called Board of Administration in D.C. that was headed by Wale. So mm-hmm. I got the uh, full uh, D.C. Um, history lesson from Rafe Edmond, Tony Lewis, to Go-Go, to Mumbo Sauce, uh, to all that <laughs> stuff. So oh, yeah, um, you right there. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty taught. Yeah, they they taught me well. So yeah, um, you well rounded. Yeah. So <laughs> you, I was reading an article and they were talking about how your mom worked her ass off to send you and your brothers to to Catholic school, and you never knew how she was able to do that, but you were thankful about that. So kind of. I guess walk us through that whole thing because, I mean, that's a hell of a sacrifice because I know that couldn't have been, you know, cheap. 
No, no, I'm quite sure it wasn't at that time. Uh, you know, I grew up single parent home with five brothers. And, uh, you know, some of, some of them started to move out as I, you know, started getting older and going into middle school and into high school. But, you know, I went to Catholic school my, my entire life. So, you know, I always played boys club sports. That kept me in touch with the neighborhood. But when it came time to go to school, you know, most of my friends in the neighborhood, they went to public school. I went to private school. So I wouldn't meet up with those guys until, you know, after my practice was over in school and things of that nature. And then I get a chance to, to hook back up with the neighborhood. But at the same time, uh, I know when I got to high school, you know, my first year, I knew I had to do something because I knew how hard my mom was working because I never really saw her. You know, she she was working two jobs, sometimes three. And she just put the onus on me and my older brothers to take care of each other. You know, when you get home, make sure you do all your homework or, you know, don't stay out late, things of that nature. Because once she comes home from one job, she might get a little hour, two hours here, and then she's back up again. So I've seen that growing up. And, you know, when I got there my freshman year in high school, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to play at a Catholic school in high school in, in D.C. Uh, or the DMV, as they call it now, is it's the reverse of other states. Uh, most people you know, their best players or their best schools are public schools. But in D.C., our best schools are private schools. Most of the athletes that are uh, Division One, one AA type talent are being recruited in the city or nowadays they're going out national and, and recruiting guys from different states to come and play in the local WCAC league. So by me playing in that league, you know, I was fortunate enough to get in there. But my freshman year, I knew I had to work a little bit harder because I'm not sure how long I was going to be there. I'm not sure if she was going to be able to pay the whole four years there. Um, I'm quite sure she probably pleaded her case behind closed doors. And it kind of worked out for me because, you know, after my freshman year, we won the title freshman season. They wouldn't let me play any other position but quarterback. That's always been like that my entire life. I try to play different positions, but they always shut that down. They say, you're a quarterback. That's what you're going to play. So I was kind of protected in that round, but at the same time, you know, my sophomore year, I was able to get a, a scholarship to go to high school. So I knew that was a big burden off my mom's shoulder, you know, that she didn't have to, you know, pay the whole four years there. Cause she always told me, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. And at the same time, I think I was thinking about taking you out of that Catholic school and high school your sophomore year, because we was going to put you in public school because I wouldn't have been able to afford it. But, you know, we got a letter in the mail and they was able to help my mom out or do something that she wasn't able to pay as long as I stayed in high school, kept my grades up. So that was a big blessing there. And I knew from my sophomore year that, you know, I had some more work to do if I was going to go to the next level and try to play and get a scholarship. So, you know, all I did was just try to do the right thing, as any son would do. Try to stay out of trouble, being as though I was surrounded by it 24-7. Uh, it was kind of hard to get away from it, but at the same time, during those days, a lot of the bad kids or older guys in the area, you know, your dope dealers, drug dealers, things of that nature, back in the 80s growing up, early 90s, you know, they seen guys that if they had potential to get themselves up out of that environment, they would kind of protect you, you know. They knew who you were. They knew that you was probably a good player. You was going to make it out of here. You had a good chance of doing it. So they always looked out. They looked after you. So that was kind of good. And that kind of stuff 
these days is that's kind of like lost and swept under the rug. It's like every it's dog for dog now, every every man for themselves. So I really take my hat off to these kids these days that's growing up in that environment and playing sports and trying to do the right thing and stay out of trouble. You know, trouble is just going to find them. You know, that's in any city. You know, things are moving so fast. And, and these guys got to make decisions. And they're on social media. Decisions are made for them. So I, I, I can't imagine what these guys are going through now. But, you know, I have my own issues. I have my own problems. But, you know, like I said, I was fortunate enough to play in probably one of the premier leagues in high school on the East Coast, I know for sure. I know it was probably the number one lead on the East Coast for sure, but nationally, it was definitely one of the two or three top conferences to play. And uh, every team, it was like the SEC. Every team is loaded. You got to bring it every week. And uh, I think that brought the best out of me. And I, I was fortunate enough to have a great, great high school team. You know, you don't realize who you're playing with until you stop playing with those guys. You see those guys go on to the next level. Some of them made it to the NFL. You know, we had seven guys on my high school team, you know, that went to the NFL. So that tells you the type of team that we had. But, you know, when you're playing and you have that much talent around you, you really don't, you don't appreciate it. But at the same time, you know this is a good player, but you always think that every, every other school has players like you. And they did, but they didn't have, didn't have NFL type talent or as much as we did. And when I look back now, there was, I looked like, wow, yeah, seven guys from my high school team played in the NFL and a number of them played Division One. So that was a really special team right there. And, uh, and as we say, we won the title, which is a great accomplishment, especially for that league in the DMV. What was the name of your high school? I went to Archbishop Carroll. Okay, I've heard of it. Uh, I was thinking, um, I know I've heard of that. Uh, the math, the yeah, the math is a big one. Uh, yeah, Tech the math is a big. Yeah, all those schools. This is the math St. John's. All those schools are great. Gonzaga, I mean, that's some top talent there. Uh, all those schools are loaded. And Gonzaga just got a. Uh, I just saw on Twitter, Gonzaga got a college style weight room. Like it's it's impressive. It, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> the whole league has weight rooms like that, except except Carol. I mean, we're kind of hurting for funds right now. Uh, I think that's in the pipeline later later down the road, but they're trying to get a lot of alumni together now. But Carol is lacking in athletic facilities, but as far as talent is concerned, they're loaded with talent. Uh, they're not winning as like they used to, but they're starting to win a little bit more now. But talent-wise, they're, they're loaded still. They just had to, I would probably say, the number one recruit in the country. I know he just committed to South Carolina out of there. So I'm excited to follow his career now. But, yeah, he's a, there's a lot of talent still there, but they not producing the way they were when I was playing there. Harbor's a, Harbor is a, a Carroll kid. Yes, yes, he's a, he's a Carroll guy. He, he's been there, well, I believe, three years, four years, did all four years there. Baby Beams, baby Beams with the big pool. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite sure Beans dropped some stories on him. <laughs> he's a good recruiter. It didn't surprise me that he went in there and snagged him. He, I mean, he's a great recruiter. That's not his first number one snag in his career. Nah, not at all. So, how did Virginia Tech come on the radar? Because I know Maryland's right there, and then UVA was good. 
then as well? Like how, like who came, who was your recruiter at Virginia Tech? Who sold you on, on the dream in Blacksburg? Uh, Coach Steinspring. Brian Steinspring was my main recruiter. Um, but I didn't, I didn't meet Steinspring until, it, it was kind of funny because um, when I was coming out of high school, you got to understand, this is, this is early 90s. Uh, this is early 90s now. So a lot of schools, they was not playing uh, black quarterbacks, you know, just to put it out there. A lot of schools didn't have black quarterbacks. It was only a handful of schools in the country that had a history of playing black quarterbacks. So, you know, and the rumor was always out that, you know, a, a school will recruit you. They will tell you, you got a shot to play quarterback. And then when you get there, they'll switch you to receiver or defensive back, things of that nature. So that was out there and that was very true. And, uh, you know, I ran to a number of recruiters that told me, yes, we, we, we'll give you a shot to play quarterback. And then I do my research on the school and they never had one, you know, they never had a black quarterback. So I was like, well, I know I'm not the special guy that's going to come to this university and be the first black quarterback here. So I knew that was out the window. That wasn't going to happen. So I had to really focus on schools that had a history at that time of playing uh, black quarterbacks. And at the same time, uh, not being an option offense. I didn't want to go to college and be an option quarterback. That, that, was, that was out of the question. I wasn't going to do that. So I had to really do my homework and look at these schools and look at offenses and look at the history if they have they ever had, you know, a black quarterback before and put both of those together. And, and that kind of narrowed down a lot of the schools that I can really choose from. I mean, I was recruited in high school by a number of schools, like I say, but most of them wanted me to play defensive back. You mentioned Maryland. Maryland was one. They, they were honest. They told me, we want you to play safety. And, and that was fine. You know, I like the honesty of it, but I just, you know, gracefully bowed out and told them, you know, I'm not interested in playing on defense. So uh, my schools came down to looking at, looking back at it, it was North Carolina. They, they were playing a, a pretty good offense. They had, they had black quarterbacks that played there. NC State was another school there. Um, UVA, Virginia, that was a, another school. That was my number one school at the time. And actually I had chose those guys coming out of high school, but the, the story that goes there is, uh, you know, I, I told all these other schools, I, I ended up qualifying on the SAT in the spring. I qualified late. So even though I verbal with UVA, um, it would kind of put UVA in the bind. They did not want to go through a recruiting season and not bring in a quarterback. So I was told by one of the recruiters there, I can't think of his name right now, but when he came up to my high school, I'm thinking he's coming up there to give me scholarship papers to sign, but he actually came up there in person to tell me that we gave your scholarship away because we didn't think you was going to pass the SAT because they was they really wanted to bring in a quarterback, you know, that spring. And I didn't pass the SAT until that spring. So, you know, that was kind of a punch in the gut right there. So as a youngster, you know, you don't know really what to do because you already told the other schools NC State, uh, Syracuse, uh, I can't think of the, the, the other ones down there in the ACC. Um, but when I told those schools that I was, you know, going somewhere else, Michigan State was another one. They had a history that I was backing off. I was going to go to UVA. So they respected it and they gave that scholarship away and they just moved on. So when I came back in the spring and, and try to open up the recruitment again, you know, most of those schools, 
then already wrapped up their scholarships and you know they filled up their quota. So I was kind of stuck in limbo. Uh, I had VMI and I had University of Hawaii. They wanted me to come out, but they, Hawaii wanted me to sign my scholarship before I even seen the university. So that was something I wasn't you know, excited to hear because uh, I, didn't, I wasn't sure if I would like the campus or like the coaches or anything. So I wasn't gonna sign before I even seen anything. So I understand where Hawaii was coming from because it probably costs a lot of money just to bring recruits there and then you don't get them. That's just a waste of money. So I understood that. So I just decided that I was gonna go to Fork Union out of high school. Uh, even though I was a qualifier, I didn't have to go to Fork Union, but I needed to go to start the recruiting process over. So going to Fork Union out of high school, that was another blessing in disguise because that's when I got a chance to play uh, around some great talent. Everyone on that team was, was everybody was Division One, one AA talent on that team. You're talking about being loaded. And we were one year out of high school, but we were playing uh, Division One schools. Uh, we'll go up and play North Carolina. We played Marshall. We played Virginia Techs. They put a JV squad together. You know, some of those guys were scholarship players, but the bottom line, they were college players and they were stronger than us. They were older than us. So they should have been more skilled at that time. So that's how I got a lot of exposure on that level. And that's when Virginia Tech seen me and they offered me right after the game. So when I sat down with these guys and I'm looking around, they had Maurice DeShazio as a quarterback. So that definitely put it on the radar. Like, well, okay, these guys, they have a black quarterback and they also run a pro style offense. So that immediately raised the antennas on me. So I kind of looked at Virginia Tech kind of strong when I was making my recruitment coming out of, out of Fort Union. And they told me, you know, we're not going to let UVA recruit you. And I said, you don't have to worry about that because that's the reason why I'm here. So they kept UVA away, and uh, I actually just picked their rival school just to go there. But it's turned out to be a blessing in disguise because Virginia Tech, they wasn't very good at that time. I mean, they were coming off a bowl season or a bowl game. They beat Indiana. So there was a little buzz around campus, you know, and I went up there on my visit. and You know, it was a family atmosphere. All the coaches were great. You know, I didn't have a problem with anyone. Everybody who was on that recruiting visit, every last one of them signed and committed. And they were great players, you know, Oxendine and the boys, great players. Only one we didn't get was uh, Anthony Poindexter. He was the only one that slid out of there and went to UVA. But, you know, he was a great player as well. He turned out to be a hell of a player. But me going to Virginia Tech was probably the best decision. It wasn't too far from home, but it was far enough that I can at least get home if I need to, but I need to get away and get out of the city. So it was a big, big change for me as far as the hustle and bustle of the city going out to rural Virginia, Southwest Virginia at that. And uh, it was great for me because I, I wanted to change the scenery. It was, it was definitely a, a night and day change for me. So, but me going to Virginia Tech and learning behind a guy who was a potential Heisman candidate you know, it was a great experience for a young quarterback. I couldn't ask for a better situation. Was uh, Maurice gone when you got there? Or was he still there? Because I know Drunken Miller was there. No, he was still there. He was still That's there. Drunken Miller was there. Drunken Miller was also a Forkian guy. He came out, I believe, two years before I did. But uh, 
Maurice was there for my first year, my first year that I redshirted. I, I went in there and, and Maurice, well, he was the guy. Uh, we had a great offense coordinator uh, by, by the name of Gary Tranquil. He, he, was, he, was a fire, he was a fireball, I tell you that. But he knew his stuff. He was a, he was a good offensive mind especially from the quarterback's point of view. Um, I learned a lot from him. His offense was very complicated, especially for me coming out of high school and prep school. We didn't have anything that sophisticated, but at the same time, I understood what he was trying to get done. Um, but unfortunately, he was only there for my first year. And Maurice didn't kind of, he, he kind of went downhill under, under that new offense there. And he was more successful under Ricky Bustle and, you know, Gary Tranquil was such a fireball that I, I told Coach Beamer that I was going to transfer after that season, even though I was redshirted because he reminded me of my high school coach. You know, he was just too much energy, too much yelling at the quarterback, things of that nature. Everything was the quarterback's fault. And uh, at that time, I said, well, I, I went through three years of this in high school. I'm not going to do this in college. I, I told Beams I was leaving. And next thing I know, Beams said, well, well, hold on for a second and you know, about a week later, he told me that he was interested in bringing back Ricky Bustle from South Carolina. And I didn't know who Ricky was, but when I when I looked at his offense, I did like his offense, what I seen. And, and, and that was a good feel. And, you know, he pulled the string. He brought Coach Bustle back. And, and it turned out to be a great, great for Virginia Tech, great for me, great for everyone. You know, and I, I thought we had a great run, a great time at Virginia Tech once Ricky Bustle got back there. How much would you say you learned from DeShazo and Drunken Miller while you were – because I know you redshirted, and then I know you sat behind Jim for a little bit. Mm -hmm. How much did you learn from them, and how much did they learn from you? Well, I mean, that's that's a good question. Um, I learned a lot from from DeShazo, just, you know, just watching from the sideline. I always tell young quarterbacks, you know, especially at that time, not not so much now, but it still can hold up to this day that when you leave in high school, no quarterback is really ready to walk into college and, and start and, and be able to perform at a high level. It's just so much going on at the quarterback position. You know, so much you have to learn. You know, and, and it's kind of winging off a little bit because nowadays these guys are getting training and they specializing in just one sport. They're not playing different sports like they used to or, or like I did coming out. So they just specializing in one sports and they're getting training all year round. So it, I say it's kind of winging off a little bit because if you run into a good trainer or a good coach that's teaching a quarterback position, yeah, some of these high school guys can walk into – a Division One school, if the offense fits what they were running in in high school, but other than that, I mean, every quarterback is coming out. You really should redshirt. I mean, it, it's just so much going on with the position. Um, there's so much things happening on the sideline during game time, and the preparation. You know, watching older guys prepare for a game is totally different the way you get ready for a game. And like I say, you know, you you really want to just kind of sit back that first year and just see how the operation is for college. And, and I was fortunate enough to do that. I did it longer than I wanted, but at the same time, you know, I learned behind Maurice Desejo, who was a great quarterback, set numerous records at Tech. I enjoyed watching him when I was in high school and I enjoyed watching him up, up close when I was on the sideline. And, 
you know, me and Drunken Metal battle that's next year in the spring. I unfortunately got injured and, and Drunken Miller ran away with it. And he, but at the same time, you know, he turned out to be a great quarterback too. You know, he, he won a lot of big games for Tech. You know, and he ended up going first round in the draft and we ended up pushing each other. I learned a lot from him football-wise. Uh, he taught me a lot as far as reading fronts. Uh, coverages I was fine with. But just reading fronts, uh, uh, understanding what the front, the, the, the D-line guys are doing, where they're lining up, how these linebackers are going to play. Drunken Miller helped me out a lot on that. Uh, we spent a lot of time, especially on the road, Friday nights, and just doing a week watching film with each other. He also taught me how to watch film. Um, there's certain things that you just have to do on your own, and I learned that real quick. You know, Drunken Miller was real good at that, so I take my hat off drunk on that but at the same time I pushed him in the weight room when I came in and I started breaking some of his records which was hard to break because drunk was a strong guy um, but after I broke his bench press record I can't think the other record I took from him but you know he decided that he wanted to go a little harder in the weight room and he took his records back as he should because he was a strong guy but I ended up taking another one back from him after he left but you know we kind of competed you know, all over. We competed in the weight room, competed on the field. We also competed in that film room. Uh, I think he had the upper hand early, especially my first year or, or second year, redshirt freshman year of a uh, film room action. But once I got a, a handle on that, you know, we were kind of seeing the same thing, watching film, even though he was his turn up, you know, we was watching film together because, you know, as anyone knows, you know, if you're a backup quarterback, you want to snap away from being out on that field. So you got to prepare like you're going to play that, that Saturday. So, you know, I, I took that serious and, you know, Drunken Miller was a strong guy. He never really got hurt. And, uh, but, you know, I was ready to go. If anything happened, I was ready to go and lead the team. Now you come from DC where fashion and culture are king and now you're in Southwest Virginia. Did you have to come down there and show, show them kids, how to dress and all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we 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 had our own style. Uh, I think we was the first to do a lot of things. Uh, but uh, you know, hey, I just I just was doing myself down there. You know, a lot of people, you know, they probably took notice or whatever. But you know, I was just doing me, doing myself. Uh, we were definitely known for busting out the New Balance. Uh, across the country there. So that was one of the things, big giveaways that you knew where I was from if I had on a pair of New Balance there. So I did bring that there to Blacksburg. But other than that, you know, I didn't pay too much attention to it. You know, I just did myself. Hopefully I didn't offend nobody the way I was dressing. But, you know, I, I just tried to do myself. That was it. Hey, man, as long as you stay true to yourself and you are yourself, it does not matter who you offend because that's a they problem, not a you problem. <laughs> yeah, you, you, it's some truth to that. It's definitely some truth to that. But we we definitely had some style there. We had some style. And I, I, hopefully, I was able to bring a little bit of that style to Blacksburg. But, you know, I, I didn't look at it that way. I just thought it was just another day, you know, put on some clothes and go on to class, get ready for practice. That was about all. So you had some battles versus Miami, and there was one play that sticks in my mind. You took off with the ball, and you probably ran like 25 yards, and then you pitched it. 
and it oh, made yeah. me laugh because I was like, oh, this man, this man ran 25 yards and then ran the option. <laughs> well, but, yeah, uh, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of funny because you know, me, me and Oxenine, he was running back at that time, and he, he was my roommate also, my second. Well, actually, he was my sweet mate my freshman year when we stayed on campus. Then we ended up moving in. He was my roommate there for for two years after that, but. You know, we always practice that when we did our option drills in, in, in practice. So, you know, we'll we, we go through the first part of the option phase. And when it comes to the pitch phase, you know, I always turn up, run about 15, 20 yards down the field and, and pitch it to them down there. And I used to always tell them, look, I say, man, if I turn up, you know, don't give up on the play like it's over with. You know, don't give up on it. Just keep on coming because I know one day I'm going to have to pitch it to you. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I want to have that option. So, you know, that that game when we played against Miami, uh, that was pretty much like my first game back because I was injured from uh, West Virginia. Yeah, they kind of banged my knee up and I missed a few games. So I was kind of resting up for this Miami game. And, you know, that was the first game back from injury. And I, I went up, I told Austin, I said, hey, if, I told coach to, you know, kind of lay off the option plays a little bit, but if he calls it, you know, don't don't be surprised if it's going to be quick pitches because I wasn't sure if I can even run, like at least try to outrun someone. But uh, you know, coach called option. I think he only called it two times that game, and the first time he called it, you know, we kind of broke out, and uh, I'm running down the field. <laughs> And next thing I know, you know, there's one guy out there to, to really score. You know, if I was healthy, you know, I would have tried a little harder. I, he wouldn't have tackled me, put it that way. But being as though it was one guy there, I didn't have another gear because my knee was was really bummed out. So all I heard was Oxidine. He was still running. And, and I was like, oh, that's my guy. So <laughs> I ended up pitching it to him because he was calling my name when we were running down the field. And I was like, yes, he's still running because I didn't have any option. I was just going to go down. But when I heard Oxidine still running, I pitched it to him, and he took it from there. But that was a hell of a play because it was it was a big first down. It was a big momentum grab for us, and it was it was it helped us or, or propelled us to get into the end zone and, and take control of that game early and kind of set the tone. So, you know, those battles against Miami was you know that, those were some great games. Even though, you know, when I first got to Tech, my redshirt year, you know, Miami was. Uh, I think they was coming off a national like two years prior. So they were loaded. And we played them down in the Orange Bowl my my redshirt year. I didn't play. I'm just watching Maurice out there playing. And they kind of took it to us a little bit that year. Um, you know, the speed of the game was definitely different when you played the Kings. You know, those guys can run and move around. So they kind of got the best of us that year. But after that year, you know, we never lost to – I never lost to uh, – Miami. We end up beating them five or six straight times. So that kind of rivalry kind of just came out of the air there. You know, when we first played those guys, they never respected us and they shouldn't have because we didn't have a name. We didn't win. You know, who were we? We were just Virginia Tech. Every time they played us, they just routed us. So when we got that first win against them in Lane Stadium, you know, they thought it was a fluke, which was fine. So they came back that next year. And they lost again in their own backyard. And after that, I think we kind of got the attention of them that, you know, we told them it was a rivalry. They didn't want to believe it, but they was in a rivalry, even though they didn't want to believe it. But it turned out to be one of the great rivalries in college because 
you know, a lot of people got injured during those games. It was a very physical game every time we played. It always came down to the wire. You know, unfortunately, we always went to overtime with these guys. But, uh, you know, they, they played hard. We played hard. And, you know, and I always say the best team's going to win. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, we won five in a row during my time there. Yeah, you, <clears throat> Lauren Johnson actually was telling me that uh, y'all beating Miami was like what sold him on choosing Virginia Tech because he was like, who are these dudes hanging with these, you know, future NFL, like, Hall of Famers? Mm -hmm. You went through yeah. a lot of adversity at Virginia Tech, though. Um, knee injury, right? Yeah, injury, yeah. Injury I had a bunch of injuries. Lost your brother while you were there. Mm-hmm. Sugar um, Bowl. How, yeah. How would you say you got through that, like, would you say, like, where you like your childhood, like where you came from, how you were raised, like you think that helped you get through and overcome all of that stuff? Uh, I would probably say that. Like I say, you know, growing up in that environment, you get thin, thick skinned um, and you kind of become numb to certain things, which is not a healthy thing. But at the same time, I think it's a survival technique, you know, when you're surrounded by so much wrong and so much uh uh inopportunities and, and just just seeing people go off the to, off the wrong track the wrong trail you know hanging with the wrong crew or just making bad decisions just because that's the only decision you know that they see it as possible which is which is fine in their own right but at the same time you kind of become numb to things and uh i, I think that kind of you know, I, I still have that to this day. You know, I'm still numb to a, a certain, th a, a numerous things, actually. But, uh, you know, I think that was one of the skill sets or, or, or one of the things that I developed growing up that, that allowed me to, uh, you know, block out distractions. Um, even when my brother passed, when I wasn't there, you know, playing in the game, you know, that it still allowed me to focus on what I was doing or what I had to get done until I got back home. But, you know, I think this growing up in that environment, it, it, it is, is a gift and a curse at the same time, but I, I think it did a lot. It done a lot of good and bad. Uh, I think it did help me block out a lot of distractions and focus on the task at hand at times. Would you say that, um, like, a loss like, losing your brother like almost did it make you focus more on football did it drive you more or was it kind of like um almost like a make you question a little bit like do I really want to be out here doing this no 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 I never had any doubts there um I just wish that you know I I just wish that he would have probably left the city uh two years after I left you know but you know, he had his own issues that he didn't tell me about, which is fine. You know, everyone's got their own privacy. But, uh, no, that didn't make me question anything. Um, I was already focused and driven. You know, it, it was a time when I, you know, kind of sat back and mourned my brother passing. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it's it's just like, you know, like I say, you, you grew up in that environment and, you know, 
people that you see and friends, close friends of yours, you know, dying young, you know, so that's been a process of my entire life as far as, you know, growing up and, and seeing guys pass away or disappearing, what I mean by, you know, being incarcerated. So, you know, that's that's just part of it. Uh, I say that's just part of city living. If you anyone that lives in a big city in the metropolitan area, you're going to go through those type of things. Everyone's going to have the same type of experience. Uh, it's just how how you handle those experiences. And, you know, I, I was able to handle it well because I just been surrounded by it my entire life. So it was I wouldn't say it's natural and it's, it's not like a, 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 a reflex that you just kick in. But it's just something that's ingrained and it's it's been there from the start. So you just kind of deal with it and it just doesn't affect, you know, people. I would say people from the inner city um, because they just I was they were just so used to it. You know, it happens every day. So, you know, that's that's reality of it. I mean, that sounds dark and cold, but, you know, that's just what it is. I mean, you either going to deal with it or you're not. So, you know, tomorrow is going to come. How are you going to react to that? So um, I think that was one of the things that really helped me get past that. But, uh, you know, just playing, when when you playing in the quarterback position, you know, you got to understand that you're leading a lot of guys and a lot of guys are counting on you, you know. A lot of guys look up to you. A lot of guys are counting on you to do your job because they know if you do your job, it's going to help their job be easier and it's going to help the team be successful. So. Sometimes you just got to, whatever you're going through as a quarterback, you know, when you step on that field, you got to be ready to perform and you got to be ready to lead guys and, and they got to, they got to trust you, you know, they got to believe in you that you all there and you all in. So you can't have a lot of distractions going on. You got too much going on. You got too many things to do and, and you got to be focused and, and you got to be ready to lead these guys. Because these guys are putting their bodies on the line trying to protect you. So, you know, I, I kind of never took that for granted. You know, these guys are playing hard. They banging heads all the time. The most I can do is just get back and, and try to complete this pass. So, you know, I just try to do my job the best of my ability and, and try to lead these guys. And, you know, fortunately, we won a lot of ball games. Uh, injuries played a part, like you say. You know, I had a bunch of injuries that kind of slowed me down. Um, I played in a bunch of those games that I shouldn't have played in. You know, I, I feel that today. But, you know, like I said, when you leading those guys and they counting on you, you know, I always told them, hey, if I can walk, if I can stand up and walk, I'm going to play and I'm going to give it everything I got for you guys. But other than that, you know, if I'm hurt, you're going to know I'm hurt because I can't do anything. Can't walk, can't move. If I'm hurt, I'm hurt. But if I'm just injured, you know, I'm going to go out there and play. But I'm not going to play from an injury standpoint, that it's going to be detrimental to the team. So believe me, if I'm out there playing, I'm out there, I'm, I'm ready to perform, but at the same time, you got to be a little smart, but, you know, I kind of owe it to the team. You know, I think playing that position, you kind of owe, owe the team something, you know, because they they really, they're, they're out there practicing harder than you. They are playing harder than you. Um, you know, the quarterbacks put more time in. But at the same time, you know, you got to be out there and you got to be ready to lead those guys. And if you're out there on the center, you got to be ready to perform. Yeah, football, it's uh, definitely a brotherhood. Um, you know, everybody fights for each other. Uh, you're all in it together. 
there was something that happened during your time at Tech that I don't think gets talked about enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And I briefly talked about it. I think it was with LJ. Mm -hmm. But it might have been Cornell or Corey. I can't remember. Either way, uh, the Million Man March was coming through. Oh, yeah. Kind of set that up for us and explain the the people, like, because y'all went. So, like, how, like, how did that come about, and how did it, how did it come to fruition? Like, how did it get executed? Uh, let me think. Um, I knew we were. Let me see. I'm trying to think. I knew when they announced the Million Man March that that was going down uh, on, on a certain date. Uh. You know, we were sitting around. I think we was in the dorm room at that time. We were sitting around, and, and as we do most nights, this was right after practice. And we go back to the dorm, and we, you know, doing what we do, messing around, or whatever. And they they announced that that they were going to do the Million Man March in D.C. And somebody got the bright idea. It was like, oh, they're going to be in your city. <laughs> they going to your city. Ah, we need to go down there. So. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't think that'd be a bad idea. You know, I think I think we probably can go down, participate in that march, and, and come on back. You know, get back the next day or whatever. The only problem with that was, you know, we, if we was going to go, we was going to miss practice. You know, and I think that practice was like a, a Wednesday practice, which which is one of our toughest practices at that time, with a lot of install and just a lot of physical work getting ready for the game. So. If we miss that day, that's a that's a real big day right there. But at the same time, none of us was thinking about what type of day it was. It was just that we made our mind up that we were going, and it was just the spur of the moment. It wasn't nothing planned or anything like that. It was just a spur of the moment. We kind of made plans as we were talking about going, and we were just gathering guys, throwing the idea around, well, maybe we can just, you know, search, search drive, he drives. We got these cars and everything. We just pile in and go, and we got the word out to most of the people on the team, and, and everyone was in agreement with it, you know. So the, the last hurdle, I, mean, I think we had at the time, I want to say we had maybe, maybe 25, 30 guys, something like that, 25, 30 guys that was willing to go. We had a bunch of cars and everything, so we were filing that in, and the, the last straw was, you know, who's going to tell Coach Beamer that we won't be in practice today? You know, these are these are the main main guys, the main players, uh, a lot of starters, you know. It's kind of ha- hard to have a practice when you don't have a team there. All your starters are gone. So, you know, Ben's though, I was one of the youngsters at that time. Um, we went up, I think it was Cornell, Cornell Brown and uh, Waverly Jackson, and I want to say, I want to say JC was part of that. And James Barron, they they stepped up and said, we're going there and we'll tell Beamer what's going on that, you know, we, we're not coming to practice. We're going to the Million Man March. And, you know, that's that, you know. So, like I say, that was one of those days that we just got out of practice and, and the coaches was in there game planning and getting ready for Wednesday practice and things of that nature. So we go into the office about nine, ten o'clock or whatever, and you know, the captains went in there and they told Beamer that, you know, all of us, we all went with them. We was in the hallway. 
and they went in there and told Beans that we were we were going to the Million Man March and we won't we won't be at practice tomorrow. And uh but Beams was accepted to that because for one, you know, he he didn't have a leg to stand on because you got your captains and seniors coming in there telling you this and you look out in the hallway and you got 30 guys and they all starters or, or backups and they all in agreement to go. So he he's seen that, hey, doesn't matter what I say because these guys are going to go. So his response was, you know, I wish you guys would have told me like early in the week or whatever, you know, I could have got you guys a bus, you know, you guys traveled together. But, you know, like I say, it was the spur of the moment type thing. It wasn't nothing that we talked about and it bounced it off the wall. It was just right after that practice when they heard that they set a date that they were going to do it. You know, they had a bright idea that, hey, man, we can just go. You know, it's in your city and things. So fortunately, you know, I was able to, you know, everyone come down and I was able to take them to my church and, you know, get everybody breakfast and that kind of worked out. So it kind of worked out overall for all of us. Um, I thought it was a great bonding experience for the team. A, a lot of the guys got a chance to travel together and, and just kind of bond in that nature. So I think it was productive, but at the same time, you know, we did miss practice, but it was for a reason. It wasn't just we were trying to get out of practice and blow things off. It was going down to be a part of history. I'm actually glad I did go, uh, just to say I was a part of it. But uh, other than that, you know, when we got back to Blacksburg, it was business as usual. You know, we got there, we practiced, went out that weekend. Those guys performed well. You know, I was still in the backup role. But the guys played well, and we won the game, and we just moved on to the next week. So, you know, it was no hard, hard feelings. Beamer didn't hang that over our head or anything. You know, I just think his main concern was he just wanted everybody to be safe going down the road. Speaking of uh, team bonding and being safe going down the road, I was told about a story <laughs> about you and J.C. Price and a white LeBaron. <laughs> on a drive back to Blacksburg. <laughs> yeah, that's some bonding going on right there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to well, tell this, it? Or? Yeah, this this was uh, it, it, it's kind of funny because you know, like I say, JC he was he was older than me. He was one of the upperclassmen. I was just a youngster, you know, red shirting and playing the backup role. And uh, if I can't remember, I think it was uh. JC and Chris Malone and uh, Mike Bianchin and they were all roommates. I think I think uh, what's my guy name? Uh, George uh, Del Del Rico. I think they were all roommates or something like that. And uh, I ended up bumping into him. I was in their neighborhood and and I ended up hanging out with him one time. And you know we had a great time, whatever. But what happened was it was it was bowl time. So we're getting ready for the bowl season and, and bowl practices. So, you know, Ben, though I was a youngster, I didn't have a way home. I was a freshman, I think, rich or a freshman at that. You know, I was looking for a ride home. And uh, so you get with the guys that's going up the road to your area in the DMV. So uh, JC, he lived over there in Maryland. And uh, John Thomas, he was a Maryland guy, the map the guy. So we was all going in the same direction. I can't think of who else was riding with us. 
but it turned out to be, you know, the bowl guys. You know, we every time bowl season comes, the same guys that get together, ride down, ride back. Uh, but, you know, coming from Blacksburg, going to D.C., you know, that's a four-hour drive, four-and-a-half-hour drive. So that's a lot of bonding time. But at the same time, you can also do some other extracurricular activities. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to know JC a little bit more. And, you know, those those were some great times right there, going down and come, especially coming back. I, I think it was even better coming back. So, uh, you know, those are some great times. I, I won't forget about it. And I'm quite sure he wouldn't either. But, you know, JC, he kind of he kind of uh, introduced me to the college lifestyle. I, I say he kind of kicked the door down that way. <laughs> <laughs> I had ran into him this past Saturday. And it was the first thing he told me. <laughs> so he definitely hasn't forgotten. Yeah, that, that's my guy. You know, like I said, he took me under his wing, you know, when I was a youngster. You know, he even though he was on defense, he was a defensive player. And, and that was the one thing about, about Blacksburg and, and uh, Coach Beamer's culture. You know, it, it, it was just the defense and the offense, we competed. We competed hard. You know, even got into some fights most of the time during the week. But it was never a divided team. You know, the, you got offensive guys hanging with defensive guys and vice versa. But uh, that was that was one of the one of the first days that I recognized that, you know, it's truly a family atmosphere down here. And, uh, you know, most of the guys I hung out with were defensive guys. You know, there's a lot of defensive guys I hung out with. Even some of my roommates were defensive guys. So. You know, we 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 seen it from that point of view, but I think it helped us because we when you get the chance to talk ball, you know, I'm always, especially from a quarterback standpoint, I'm always picking those guys' brains of, you know, what are you looking at? What what's what's tipping you off and things of that nature? And you get to talking, you hear from their side of view or, or their point of view, and you know that kind of helped me out offensively. And then I I give up some jewels to them too that this is what I'm seeing and what of what you're doing. You know, and I'm going to go the opposite way if you do this. So they kind of we kind of learn from each other. And I think that happens when you intermingle with each other off the field and uh, this in your everyday lifestyle, even though he was a defensive guy, you know, he's my teammate in the end of it. You know, so, you know, hanging out with J.C., even though he was an older guy, I mean, he kind of introduced me to the Carter's lifestyle. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoy that guy. I mean, even to this day, you know, we kind of talk about it, but we spent a lot of time with each other. And, uh, you know, he's always going to be my guy there. You know, I love J.C. From a strategic standpoint, going against, you know, J.C. Price, Corey Moore, Cornell Brown, L.J., all those dudes in practice every day had mm -hmm. to make everybody better oh. on both sides, offense and defense. Oh, let me tell you a story there, though. <laughs> this, is, this is very interesting. Uh, you know, my, my red shirt year, you know, we had the number one defense in the country. Uh, I, I, I put that hands down, that front seven, along with the back end with LJ and T Banks. I mean, uh, T Gray and Banks back there. Uh, William Yarborough, Killer, he back there. You know, they, they did their thing on the back end, but those guys up front, they set that tone. And I had to see those guys every week in practice. And not only see those guys, but that's when Coach Pry, who's the head coach there now, he he was a young coach. He was a, a GA at the time. If I'm not mistaken, that was his first coaching opportunity. 
So he came in, even though he was a defensive GA, the only time I got a chance to spend time with him was uh, doing scout team, you know? So he comes with the bright idea that, you know, he wants to have these scout team meetings and, and get organized and get ready to go out there. All right, so that, that sounds all fine and dandy, but he wanted me to come to those meetings. So I told him I wasn't coming to those meetings. You know, I said, I'm going to the quarterback meetings because quarterbacks, we always meet before everybody on the team, and we always meet after practice. Everybody's gone, and we still meeting. So I felt it would be more beneficial for me to be going to these quarterback meetings than some scout team meetings. I can just read the card and know what you want to do there. So he took issue to that, you know, so that, that was fine. I can deal with that. But getting on that field, you know, when they get these scout cards up, you know, they, they try to prepare uh, their defense for what they're going to see offensively. And they already predetermining where I should throw the ball, you know, and I, I get, I get it. You know, that's what you see on film and that's what you're trying to stop. So you're trying to practice that. And I'm looking at these cards, but to me, you know, an offensive guy, I know I'm playing scout team. I didn't want to get that ingrained in my head to be throwing in double and triple coverage. You know, that just wasn't going to fly. You know, so I didn't want to get used to putting that picture in my head that I'm going to drop back, look at my primary, but I see him double covered, sometimes triple covered, and you still want me to throw it in there. I'm not throwing it in there. My natural reflex is that I'm going to the next read. So... <laughs> Every time they had a primary receiver that they wanted me to throw it to, I never really threw it there because obviously he was covered because that's the way they want to defend it. And Coach Pry took an issue with that and the defense coordinator, uh, Phil Almation at the time. So I was live, you know, every, every week I was live, tackle to the ground, come Monday and Tuesday, you know. So that's something that's unheard of. You know, I'm a red shirt freshman, but I'm going out playing against the number one defense in the country every Monday and Tuesday, I'm live, tackle to the ground. Uh, so I say, okay, that's the way they want to play it. I don't know what they're trying to prove here, but I'm going out with my red shirt guys. And, you know, you got to look at it. We, we red shirt freshmen, some of them are sophomores, but we lining up against the number one defense in the country, and I'm the only one live out there, and that defense know it, and they coming. You know, they, they, they enjoy trying to get me on the ground. So, you know, we, we had the – I got with my tight end and, you know, some other guys that was on the offensive side. And, you know, we didn't have a real offensive scheme, but we did have some hot options that, that we put in there. You know, whatever we seen on the card, we always had some hot routes or some hot options. So even though those guys were coming, they you know, they got to me a lot. But, uh, you know, I made them work for it. And I think, you know, that, that kind of helped that defense also. I know I played a big part in having those guys run those quarterbacks down. But uh, at the same time, it's just that that was something I wasn't going to do. And, I, you know, I think me and Pryor, we got off on the wrong start just on that alone. But, you know, I told them that I, I'm just not trained to throw into double and triple coverage. I'm, that's just not going to happen. So I think they they didn't like that part of it, and they the way they got back was just make me live. And I think that lasted about about at least the first eight weeks of the season, my redshirt year, and it it kind of went into my redshirt sophomore year one time. 
And then when Mike Vick got there, you know, he kind of took the reins and went over after that. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, the defense, they were excited every week. You know, that's all they wanted to know was our lives. When, they, when I was, you know, those, I think it made practice more exciting for them. You know, I didn't, I didn't get a thrill out of it. But at the same time, you know, it made it kind of fun. But at the same time, I was it sharpened my skills as far as moving around in the pocket and understanding how I got to get out of there because these guys are coming. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed it to a certain extent, but not during that time when it was happening. When Michael Vick came in, did y'all know that he was him then? Uh, I did. I knew it. But the, the thing is, is uh, they had a guy named Ronald Curry at the time who was Legend. in the same, yeah, same, same area down there in that Tidewater area. He was the number one recruit in football and basketball. So, you know, everyone, everybody wanted him. But, uh, you know, Mike came up there and, you know, I seen him day one practicing when I was seeing him throw the ball and move around. And I was like, wow, this guy's pretty damn good. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I, I seen what you're doing, Mike. But if, and I'm liking what I see. But I'm like, damn, this Ronald Curry must be really good, you know. And I never seen Ronald Curry play until his first time in college. And, you know, when I saw that, I was like, no, Mike's way better than that. But, uh, yeah, I seen that early. You know, when you see talent, you recognize talent. And that, and that guy had all of it. He had all of it. And, uh, you know, my main thing with Michael was, you know, his red shirt year, you know, it's not a lot going on as far as red shirts involved. And you don't get a whole lot of reps unless you're down there on scout team. So you just sit back, you know, just watching the guys in front of you and things of that nature. So he, he always was getting bored, you know. He always get bored and want to jump in the, the receiver line and run some routes or, or just get in seven on seven, just do anything to try to stay active. And I used to walk up to him and say, hey, I don't think you want to do that too good because uh, you look good running these routes and you might give these coaches an idea. You know, I said, if you want to play quarterback, you need to stay over here. So, you know, he, he kind of took heed to that. But, you know, he was a young guy and he just had a lot of energy and want to get out there. So he would dibble and dabble and get out there and play a little receiver. But I had to bring him back in and be like, hey, man, you want to play quarterback, you need to stay on over here. He listened. And, uh, but, you know, he, he was just a special talent. You know, I just knew it was only a matter of time before he get out there and do something that's electric. Because uh, I'll tell you a story here. We watch a film the same way I was doing with Drunken Miller. You know, I go in there as a youngster and just watch him and, you know, pick his brain and ask him what he's looking at. He'll share some juice. And uh, Mike was in the room with me one time. And, you know, I'm watching film. And, you know, I told him straight up. I said, hey. You know, you, you don't have to sit in here and watch this film for hours and hours. I say the object of football, especially offensively, is get the ball to the fastest guy on your team or on your unit. That's the object. You want to get the ball to the fastest guy. And I say, hell, when you say hype, you already got it. So I was like, it's, it's no sense of going through all these progressions when you're trying to get the ball to a fast guy anyway, I said, you already got it. I said, man, you, you just need to go to your first read. If he's not open, you just need to take off because it's just going to turn into a natural draw play and you're just going to have natural, you're going to have defenders out of, out of place. So you're going to win that one-on-one -on -one matchup every time. I said, there's no sense of sitting back there in his pocket 
trying to read the defense and going through all your progressions. I said, you, you just wasting time. I said, you, you just need to see that first read. If he ain't there, tuck it and go. And I'll tell you, I don't know if he, I knew, I knew he kind of listened to it and he took heed to it because he did a lot of running when he was at Tech. I mean, he threw the ball well, but when that first read wasn't there, he tucked that ball. He was something special to watch. You know, you know he had a special talent. And I just didn't, didn't think he needed to waste it sitting back in the pocket trying to just read coverages. You know, it, I have never seen anybody that can run like that. So I was like, you need to use those legs. I mean, I can run, I can move around, but he was on another level. And I thought that his best interest and his uh, best opportunity to really be successful is, you know, we trying to get the ball to our fastest guy. And once you say hike, you already got it. So you just you know, use those legs, use your arm when you need it. The guy is open, let him have it. But other than that, don't need to go through three and four reads. Tuck that ball and go. And he was fun to watch. Yeah, I've uh, seen a lot of great special special quarterbacks in my time watching football, whether it was, you know, Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, Johnny mm-hmm. Mandel, Lamar Jackson, Dennis Dixon. Oh, yeah. But nobody has ever been Michael Vick to me. Like, I feel like yeah. – he was like the first one that I ever really like, like saw play like that. And he just changed football completely. And I feel like he really, you know, paved the way on a professional level for, mm-hmm. for teams to be like, Oh, like, you know, Cam Newton can be this, or, you know, like these guys can be successful at quarterback. I know Tebow, I'm a Broncos fan. He didn't really have a great pro career. He did beat the Steelers in the playoffs, but right. like that man was never getting one single chance, in my opinion, if it wasn't for like what Michael Vick was able to come into the Atlanta and do with the Falcons and work done and TJ Duckett and you know yeah. all those oh, yeah. dudes. But oh, uh yeah. back to Al Clark. Music City Bowl, Alabama, ass beating what was that week like leading up into no, like once you found out you were going to play Alabama in the music city bowl, I don't remember if they were good then or not, but they're still like national name, like right. football royalty. Right. And then what was that week like in practice leading up to the game? And then what was it like playing Alabama in that game? Well, well, I mean, Alabama was coming off of a, uh, uh, Probation, I think it was. They, the NCAA sanctioned them a couple scholarships, this and that, and they, in that nature. But you know, they were still Alabama. I mean, they they had they were they were loaded with first round draft picks. You know, they even had a Heisman Trophy winner on their team as, as the running back. So they had talent everywhere. You know, they had size, talent, and speed. But it kind of reminded me of uh, I think it was my freshman year when we played in the Sugar Bowl against Texas. Uh, it was the same disrespect uh, leading up to the game. You know, those boys from Alabama, they hear Virginia Tech, and they like, who the hell are these guys? You know, things of that nature. And, you know, you're not getting any good publicity from the national media coverage. They all for Alabama, which is fine. You know, they got great history, so they're going to get that. 
And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think what's his name? Uh, I can't think of the name of that coach at the time, but you know, he they had a live phone call with him and Coach Beamer, you know, and, and he kind of disrespected the program as well. I can't remember, you know, recall what he said, but it definitely wasn't any anything good in our favor. Um, I think at that time, uh, Virginia Tech was either 0 and 11. Yeah, I think they were 0 and 11. Or maybe they beat them one time, but I don't even know. If they, I think that was the first time we beat Alabama. I think we probably was 0 and 11 in the history of uh, Alabama-Virginia Tech matchup. So, you know, they always blew us out. So leading up to that game, uh, practices were good, but it was bad at the same time because we only got really good work in when we was in Blacksburg. Once we got down to Nashville, you know, it snowed. It, it snowed everywhere. So all the fields were snowed out. So we had to, you know, go into gyms and, and just basically all our practices turned into walkthroughs. I think we got outside maybe one time that week and, you know, we tried to make the best of it. It still was snow everywhere, but we did get a chance to kind of stretch our legs out and, you know, we can kind of get in real formations and, and, and kind of go through what you're going to go through once the game starts. So we probably had one good practice, you know, when we was down there in Nashville. So, you know, like we always looked at it, you know, Alabama's dealing with the same thing. You know, we, we can't go out and practice. Hell, they can't go out and practice either. So we're all in the same boat. Uh, so I think it was, it was a lot of kind of a disrespect from the players' standpoint, you know, the players would get together and they have some type of team function. You know, our team would get with their team and we go out. I don't know what we'd do. It'd be like bowling or whatever. I can't remember what, what we did in Nashville as a team. But, uh, you know, those guys were cocky and macho and, you know, as they should be. You know, they were mighty Alabama and they listening to little old Virginia Tech from southwest Virginia. They're not thinking two things about us. But, you know, once we get on that field, we're going to show them, you know, pretty much who we are. So I think we kind of took the mentality because a lot of those guys who was on that team was on that Sugar Bowl team as youngsters, as myself. So we seen how the older guys approached that Texas game. And uh, they gave, I would say, two fucks about Texas. You know, they, they went out and, and they showed Texas who they were. So I think we kind of took that same mentality uh, against Alabama, especially that we were on 11 lifetime against them. So we had nothing to lose. So we went out there and just pretty much just showed them who we were. And uh, they found out real quick who Virginia Tech was. I think we scored early and often and, and, and defense played lights out. Um, so, you know, that was, that was a good moment for Virginia Tech, you know, just to try to get another foot on the map as far as trying to get some respect nationally. And, uh, you know, that next year, Mike Vick came in and just kicked the door in. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to describe it. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. 1,000%. Um, uh, <laughs> Alabama was your last college game, right? Yeah, that was my last college game. Uh, I went out. That was the coldest game I ever played in, actually. You know, that was the only game I ever got cold in as far as temperature wise, uh, normally when you're out there playing, you know, you don't really feel the temperature, but it was, it was, it was really, really cold that day. But, uh, you know, I, I'm proud to say that I was able to score the first touchdown in music city bowl history. I was, I was proud to 
kind of break the the ice in that bowl. And uh, and I'm glad it happened when it did because it kind of set the tone for the game. I, if I'm not mistaken, I probably want to say it was like third, fourth play of the game, maybe fifth play or something like that. That you know, I end up scoring a touchdown on our first drive. So that kind of set that tone right there. And I, I went up to Corey and told him, it's your turn now. I told Corey and I told Kia, I said, it's your turn now. And those <laughs> those boys took those words literally and went out there and showed Alabama who the hell they were. And uh, it was fun to watch. You know, it, it was good to see, you know, Tech take that next step. You know, as Beamer will always say, he trying to take that next step in the national, trying to get that national title. and. Uh, we all took heed to that. And, you know, I, I really believe Beamer was at that time, you know, he turned down some jobs, my, my time at Tech, at least three of them while I was there. So he had opportunity to leave, but, you know, he's a loyal guy. And, and I think, you know, that kind of shaped me to, you know, always see things through, you know, you, if you start something, you want to finish it. And, uh, you know, I always believe in that. And, and I became a stronger believer after, you know, just being around Beams all those years and seeing that, you know, success he's had. And he could have left Tech. He could have easily left, went to the NFL if he wanted to also. But he wanted to stay at Tech and build something. And, you know, he, I would say he did a hell of a job of building something. I, you know, he came up short on that national title. But, uh, you know, I, I, I believe he should have had at least two cracks at it. You know, my senior year, I, I think we were good enough to get there. Um, without the injuries, you know, I think the injuries kind of set us back a little, especially myself, but, uh, you know, we came a little short my senior year of, of, of trying to get on that national stage, but that next year, you know, with those guys coming back, because we was a young team my senior year, especially up front, you know, those guys grew up fast, defensively and offensively. They grew up fast, and, you know, I knew they were going to be something special down the road once I left. Um, but to see those guys go to the national title game, you know, I wasn't surprised that that happened because I, I felt this should have happened a year before. But, uh, you know, they came up a little short. You know, that kind of hurt. And, uh, you know, Beamer just never really got back to that level. But hopefully Coach Pryor can turn things around. I, I believe he will. Um, it's just going to take a little time. Yeah, Um that 99 when they went to the daddy uh if like lj or somebody i think had an extra year eligibility uh -huh. i think that game might have went different because i remember ronya whitaker was i think he was a freshman and they picked on him a little bit yeah yeah he was, yeah. he was a youngster he was he was he was a youngster he was a red uh if i'm not mistaken red shirt freshman out there and and you know prior to that you know the they had uh, Pearson Prelo and 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 LJ and uh, it was another youngster out there playing too. They all played as true freshmen, so they they it should have been at least one of those guys still around. But Biz though that they came in and played early, you know they 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 ran out of you know eligibility, so they they you know they were I wouldn't say they was in a in a in a in a pinch to play anyone, you know, Tech was always had great DBs. It's just that, you know, you had a youngster on an All-American, that's all. And he made a hell of a catch. It wasn't like he was totally beat. I mean, that guy made a hell of a catch. You know, I think Whitaker did what he had to do. He did everything he was supposed to do, even punched at the ball. 
But, you know, the ball didn't come out. He just made a hell of a catch. You know, I'm quite sure he would tell you to this day, uh, with Peter Ward, he'll tell you to this day, he probably can't believe he caught that ball. But, you know, he did. That's what great players do. They make plays. And uh, he made a hell of a play that gave him the national title. That's all. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie L had a hell of a career. Um, yeah, he did. He was a great player. Yeah, salute to him. Uh, I thought Tech – if. If Marcus Vick came back at 06, I think they'd have went to the national championship then too. Yeah. With that I defense. So. But yeah. you mentioned Keon Carpenter, so I always like to say rest in peace when people bring him mm-hmm. up. Uh what is Al Clark doing now? Like what like what do you what did you do after tech and like what what are you currently into? Like what Well, what I did I did uh after tech I I played a little uh arena football for about a, I would say a year and a half. Play a little bit of that. Then I, I got into coaching. You know, uh, I started off as a coach, and I never really had aspirations to be a coach while I was playing because, you know, I respected coaches too much. And, you know, my coach, one of my coaches when my prep school year, like I said, when I was at Fort Gillian, they we went around the country playing JV, Division One JV teams. And while I was at Tech, you know, that didn't stop. Fort Gillian came up there every year and played out of JV. So, Every year, coach come up there and be like, hey, you you think about coaching? You know, my, every year I was there at Tech. And I was like, I always told him, no, I never really thought about it. But you keep hearing it, keep hearing it from different coaches. So, you, you know, after about a year and a half of arena ball, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play anymore. I, I just got tired of being sore, things of that nature. And I said, oh, I'm just going to go ahead. And I always wanted to be around the game. So I said, I'm going to try to coach him. So I started coaching down at Fort Union for a few years. And, uh, you know, kind of liked it. And next thing you know, I was, I did a year at uh, University of Richmond, the Spiders down there. And uh, that, that was good, good learning experience. And I got out of the college level because I, I felt that, you know, I felt it was a waste of time while I was there. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, it, it's, it, it, the coaching business is kind of crazy. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, so, you know, I, I get the coach in there and I'm on the defensive side of the ball. So this is my first time on the other side of the ball ever. You know, I've been a quarterback my whole life. So my first gig was basically a GA type position, but I'm coaching safeties. But I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with the secondary because I know what they what they supposed to do and where they need to be at. But at the same time, I'm learning how the front reacts and, 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 and how they attack offenses. So that's I wouldn't say it's new to me, but just listening to terminology and how they want to get a jump on offenses was kind of new. So I'm going in there as a sponge trying to learn everything. And I give ideas here and there, but none of my ideas were being heard, which is fine. And But I didn't appreciate the fact that when you had these exit interviews, you know, you got the defensive coordinator, who is the head coach there now, I know I think he was a great guy, but you know I just think some things were said that wasn't correct as far as me not you know participating as far as giving ideas because all my ideas were shot down. My most number one request was, you know, I, I seen Bud Fox's defense for years while I met Tech. Hell, I went against it every day. So I'm my most of my suggestions were Bud Foster blitzes. You know, most of them was Bud Foster blitzes, and they most of them dealt with 
bringing secondary guys, you know, bringing a corner, bringing a safety, things of that nature, listening for it to a side. So I'm giving him these little tips like, hey, I think against this offensive look, I think if you want to try to get pressure, I think this would be a good look. So I throw it out there. And, you know, it get wiped to the side. I'm like, ah, I can't do that. I never blitz safeties. You know, I never blitz safety in 20 years of being defense coordinator. And I'm like, well, that's fine. You know, it's always good to be a change. They never see it coming because they know you don't blitz safeties. So he shot everything down. And <laughs> so the funny thing is, you know, I felt it was this way to time. So I said, well, you know, maybe I'll just get away from this college uh, staff right here. And uh, so I started coaching with LJ the next year when he was at Holland Springs. And I'm watching the University of Richmond the following year when I leave, everything I suggested, they ran them. You know, my two safeties that I coached led the conference in sacks because they was blitzing them on all the blitzes that I was telling. I was like, wow, this guy, he's using all my suggestions now that I'm not there. I was like, wow, why can't he just tell me straight up in my face that, hey, it's a good idea. I just don't feel comfortable running it. Or, or, or but don't tell me that's not going to work. You don't like it. And then the next year, you take the whole staff up to Blacksburg to go up there and, and sit down and read about it. So I thought that was a slap in the face right there. But, you know, I was happy for my safeties that I coached because those guys were very athletic. That's the only reason why I suggested, you know, I think we need to bring these guys because they can run. And uh, both of the guys were first team, and I, I enjoyed watching them. But uh, I was just a little disappointed that, you know, most of my tips were swept under the rug. But when I leave, you run it. You know, I, I thought that was kind of a slap in the face. But that's the coaching business, I guess. You know, that was probably my learning experience that, you know, some things you just got to keep to yourself, you know, and, and, and just move on. But other than that, you know, I was happy for those boys. But, you know, I, I, I thought that was a slap in the face. Hell yeah, man. Um, LJ, he's got himself quite the the franchise, the dynasty down there at Highland Springs. Yeah. Uh, I, I caught the semifinal this year and the state championship because I'd had him on the podcast and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go support him. He's been great. Uh, his kids are awesome, Braylon and Brennan. Mm -hmm. I don't know his daughter. But I didn't know those two play football. And Braylon's coming to Tech, and then hopefully Brandon comes to Tech. I don't know where he'll go, but he's going to have lots of options. That's uh, good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I know he's going to be well coached. You know, you know. I'm just proud to say that I was I was there for LJ's first year when he started at Holly Springs. You know, and then I made my move back up here. But you know, I've been everywhere. I've been coaching for a long time. Uh, you know, I've been in different states. I coached college a couple times where I, I wouldn't say it was, it was mainly just a foot in the door as far as college. But, you know, I've, I've been a coordinator on a college level and did the prep ball, coached in different states, been coaching for a long time. I, I'll say at least 15, 16 years. I, I took a break on COVID. When COVID hit, I, I didn't go out there for the 2020 season when it was the pandemic was up. Uh, and I've been out of coaching since then, but I'm trying to get back in now. I tried to get in last year, but nothing worked out. But I'm trying to go around this time. I got a couple sniffs, so I probably end up getting back into coaching. But, you know, I've I just been coaching and doing some personal training up in the uh, DMV area. 
That's awesome, man. Well, I know whoever hires you to coach is going to get one hell of a coach. So you've been around the best, and, I mean, you were a hell of a player yourself. So it's a perfect, perfect union. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just waiting on waiting on an opportunity. You know, this this coaching business is 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 is, is very flaky. Um, it, you know, it's, it's all about connections. Uh, it's not what you know. It's just you know who you know to get you in. But you know, I, I I'm I'm playing the waiting game. I'm patient. I'm waiting. An opportunity will present itself that would be a great fit. And you know, once once that happens, you run with it. But you know, I mean, it's not like uh, I'm looking at coaching, trying to just break my feet in. But no, nah, I've been all over, been in different states. You know, I I put my work in as far as showing, you know, that I'm willing to do it. Doesn't matter where it is, you know, that's already on the resume. But now at this point, you know, I'm really not trying to leave the state or, or go anywhere very far, unless, you know, maybe it's a college job or something of that nature, but. Right now, and I'm just looking probably just go ahead and coach some high school ball, take over a program, and and go from there. But uh, we, we'll see what happens here in the next few weeks or, or next few months. Uh, we got a couple schools in the DMV area. Hopefully, I can get back into uh, the WCAC, the league that I played in. Um, if an opportunity opens there, I'm you know I'm talking to some people now, but we, we'll see what happens in the long run. But you know, I'll be somewhere you know, when the season starts next year, for sure. Hell yeah, man. I work in uh, Fairfax County, so we'll have to get up at some point. I'm always in the DMV, so. Oh, okay. I didn't know you were in Fairfax. Yeah, I work for Marriott, so I work okay. at Marriott in, in Herndon, but. Okay. Yes, That's sir. I, I appreciate you coming on here, taking the time out of your Friday night to to share some stories and, and, and bless the listeners with uh, your time and, and your knowledge. It was a great conversation. I always love my Hokies. You know, when I got the phone call that so-and-so wanted to do a podcast, I was like, well, who is this guy? <laughs> but at the same time, it didn't matter. Uh, the person who told me to, to go on there, you know, I, I respect it. So I was like, he's a Hokie. You know, that's fine with me. I try to do anything for, for my fellow Hokies, so it's not no issue at all. Yeah, that person is a rock star. Shout out to them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, man, like I said, I appreciate it. Uh, I wish you the best. Uh, we'll definitely have to get together um, and go Hokies. Oh, no problem. Yeah, go Hokies. We get that thing turned around. It's going to be a while, but uh... – you know, we, we hang in there. We're going to start getting some more talent up there. And I believe Coach Pry going to turn that thing around. But it's going to take some time. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. But uh, we're off to a good start. I thought last year he did the best he could with the talent he had. But, uh, you know, he realized what he had. And he went out and got some, some different talent. So hopefully we can get a couple pieces in there to try to turn this ship around. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'll happen. Yes, sir. I also have full faith in yeah. that happening as well. You don't have a choice. You know, we in it. We in it for the long haul. Yes, sir. <laughs> I want to be able to put my Virginia Tech stuff back on like I was. But uh, I'm still a Hokie. I'm always going to be with them. 
that's the only team I know besides my Redskins. But uh, other than that, you know, we're going to see what happens this season. We got a lot of nice young talent up there. I believe a lot of them will play early. You know, we don't have a choice but to play these guys, especially the way they're moving around in the portal. So you put those guys in the field, see what they got. But I think we got some talent going into next year. And she'll be a better year next year. That's what I'm got my fingers crossed for anyway. She'll be better. You and me both. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>